Well, hello, my dear listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Music and Mindset Matters podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have a guest joining us. We have Sal Ratnaraja. She is a speech pathologist based in Sydney in Australia. She works for Speak About Pathology. Sorry, Speak About Speech Pathology. That's a mouthful. And she has been playing music, playing the piano specifically, for over 24 years. She's really, really passionate about her job as a speech pathologist, but also just as passionate about music and using it in her sessions with her clients. Now, she works with young children, so from as young as 18 months old up to 18 years of age. And she has a range of clients she has experience working with a range of communication difficulties so um, things like think speech sounds stuttering um, supporting vocal um, intonation so instead of robot talking like this you know supporting children and, and older older children and teens to actually have that kind of rhythm and difference in their voice um, she has some amazing stories that she's going to share with us um, to do with more of a music as therapy uh, through, for example, um, the melodic intonation therapy, which is used often on people who have had a stroke. And um, in those cases, their, their left side of their brain has been affected and that affects their, uh, their language skills and the ability to speak. She's got a wonderful story um, about a lady that was unable to speak her name or respond, but she was able to sing in response to a conversation. So stay tuned for that. Um, she also talks really strongly about the using music and nursery rhymes as a way to um, support parents and their children to bond and connect, especially when there's elements of you know speech delay or global delay there's you know there's an underlying uh, underlying um, condition that is affecting that language development so it's a really really great conversation and you know when Sal talks she's she's so gentle in her way but she in the way that she speaks but she's also got this beautiful light I mean you'll be listening to her um, but we had the conversation over Zoom and I was able to, we were able to see each other as we were speaking. And she really is just very bright and magical in the way she, she speaks and talks about the work that she does and her clients. And, and I can imagine that her families that she works with, the children and families that she works with, are just so lucky to have someone like her as, as passionate as she is about supporting people in her job. Yes, it's her role as a speech pathologist, but you know, more, more than that, she really goes above and beyond to support them and find ways to connect and bring out the best in her clients. So I think we can go straight into it. If you want to grab a drink, uh, get your shoes on if you're out walking, you may out be, be out walking already. I'll pop my little intro music on and, uh, yeah, get cosy and comfy. Hello and welcome to the Music and Mindset Matters podcast. I'm your host, Christy Russell. I'm a music and mindset mentor and founder of Movers and Shakers Music. I'm also a trained early childhood teacher, piano teacher, musician, mum of two, wife and passionate Aussie entrepreneur. I'm a 
mission to spread the magic and power of music and mindset to as many people as possible. Every day I tap into the power of music and mindset and every day I notice how much more focused, resilient and connected I am at work and at home. You could even say I am more in tune with myself and the world around me and I want that for you too. If you're passionate about early childhood education, curious about the relationship between music, mindfulness and the human brain, then this podcast is for you. Join me each week as I discuss all things to do with music, mindfulness and why it matters so much to be advocating for this in early childhood. My goal is to inspire you with stories, research findings and a whole heap of practical tips so that you can have the confidence and skills to embed music and mindset practices into your daily routines and your early learning programs. Because when we love music, we love learning, we love life. Let's tune in. Well, welcome to the Music and Mindset Matters podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Sal. I would love to welcome you, Sal. And I've said my little spiel about you in the introduction, but I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to us um, and our listeners out there, please. Sure. Hi, Christy. Thanks so much for having me. So I am a speech pathologist in Sydney, Australia. Um, I work with children, so from the ages of 18 months to 18 years, and I love it. Um, And outside of work, I love music. I am a pianist. I've been playing piano for the past 24 years. Um, and yeah, I've tried other instruments um, in between as well, but piano is my, my main one, my favorite. Um, and uh, over the years of being a speech pathologist, I've just loved using music in therapy and um, I see so many benefits of it. So yeah. Wow, that's exciting. That's a long time to be playing the piano. You must really love it. Um, did you start how did you start? Did you grow up in a musical family? Somewhat. So my dad plays the guitar and his sisters sing and music has always been an important part of um, their life. Um, And my dad wanted my brother and I to start off really young, uh, knowing how to play music and just feel the joy through that. Oh, it's so joyful, isn't it? Did you did you end up doing like exams or following, you know, AMEB, you know, the the AMEB, the classic? (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yes, I did. I did the AMEB exams up to grade eight. That was through my schooling. Um, And I did teach piano for a little bit as well. How did you enjoy the, or how did you find the teaching? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I mainly worked with children as well. So it was just so cool to see um, them learn and be creative as well, not just knowing the theory, but producing something themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, really cool. Oh, that's fantastic. And you said you tried some other instruments um, in between the piano, but always coming back to your first love. What kind of yeah. instruments have you have you tried as well? And do you still use some of that in your in your practice at speech therapy today? Yeah, so I've tried guitar, ukulele, um, violin and harp. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one I've tried in therapy apart from piano is the ukulele, just because it's it's portable, easy to use. Yes. Yeah. It's so portable, isn't it? That's the reason Mm -hmm. why I ended up going. I've tried the guitar several times. My mum is also a guitar player and teacher. 
and my little fingers just never really got around to it. Yeah. So I taught myself the ukulele for that purpose to connect with the children when, you know, when I'm doing the music and movement sessions as well. How do you find, um, you know, you said you worked um, with children as young as 18 months. That's really young, isn't it? Do you, yes. do you use it or do you use the ukulele all the way through? Do you use it with, you know, children as young as 18 months as well? Yeah, I mainly use it with the little ones, actually. Um, I've found the most use using music for late talkers. Um, so for children who are just, yeah, slow to pick up on words or just have difficulties connecting with their parents and connecting with other people, I find that music is just such a beautiful tool to connect um, and create that relationship to then learn words and build upon that so yeah it's mainly the little ones that I use it with that's really interesting that you use that word connect you know when you uh, I just really my ears pricked up when you said that uh, mm -hmm. the little ones find it hard to connect with their parents do you find that I mean with those sessions I'm assuming the parent or carer is with with the child in that session because they're so young yes. do you find that um it boosts it not only boosts the confidence with the child but it boosts the confidence with the parent as well yes for sure and it's really beautiful to see their relationship grow as well because sometimes I will model for them but then I'll just be on the side and I'll just see the parent and the child having a beautiful interaction back and forth smiling laughing through singing a song and there was so much interaction and engagement there that wasn't there before Oh, that's beautiful. Do you teach a song to them, say, for example, or a nursery rhyme? Do you use nursery rhyme? Mm, yeah, mainly use nursery rhymes. Um, I have so many parents who come in with a child who has a delay and they may not be talking and they may have difficulties understanding lots of things, but the parents will say, but they love music. They love songs. Yeah. yeah. And I just find that such a huge pattern. Yeah. The universal language, isn't it? Yes. And, yes. you know, I, I know when we spoke briefly last year, um, I mentioned a lot about the research that I'm doing through Bigger Better Brains and Doctor, mm -hmm. the work of Dr. Anita Collins. She's really wonderful at breaking down all the very quite heavy research-based um, uh, articles and things, um, studies into the connection between language development and music. And you would probably understand this in your, you know, in a, perhaps a different way, but you know, the connection between the way we learn music and the way we learn language, they share many overlapping areas of the brain and then many overlapping networks as well. So the mm -hmm. area and then the smaller pathways. And I'm finding that fascinating too because part of my role last year and also this year will be continuing the literacy intervention programs for the early years at my children's primary school. And, you know, exactly is that you know they, they really enjoy the music element of it even though they might have some challenges with you know pronouncing specific um specific letters or specific you know um th or sh comes to mind but you get them to sing it and all of a sudden it's a lot easier for their mouths to mm. form those um to form those sounds and it's mm. fascinating isn't it it's almost like you switching on something else in the brain that allows them to access that motor control. 
Yes, definitely. It's like music bypasses the difficulty and just enhances another part of the brain. Um, yeah, which enables so many other skills, which is really cool. It's actually, um, there's a therapy called melodic intonation therapy that's used a lot with um, people who have had a stroke Okay. um, in the left side of their brain. Um, and during one of my university placements, I got to work with a patient who presented Um, with aphasia, um, which is due to brain damage in the left hemisphere. So she lost all words Yes. um, after this stroke. She could only say her name, um, but she uh, could understand everything. And you'd ask her a question and she would just repeat her name over and over again. But I trialed um, this therapy with her and where we sing a response, we were taught to um, sing a little phrase. We did How Are You in the first session and... Yeah, so it'll be like, how are you? So it's done to a certain um, intonation, a certain interval. Because Like a bird. there's, there's this, yeah, yeah, Great. yeah, exactly, yeah. I've heard about And that before. I wondered what yes, that was called. Okay. yeah, 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 melodic intonation therapy. So in my very first um, session where I trialed this, she sang, how are you? And just the shock on her face because she didn't realize she had that in her. So we just, we just bypassed. the difficulty um, and just, yeah, enhanced the other part. And I'm sad that I didn't get to see her for longer just because of the nature of that placement. But it was just so cool to see. It's amazing how what music does to the brain. Yeah, what's the significance of an interval of a third? Do I actually you know? don't know. Yeah, Yeah, okay. I need to look into We're that. going to do a further research. If anyone's
Nursery rhymes are so great because they're simple and then they're repetitive. They allow for uh, lots of predictability as well. Um, so in learning language, uh, children need repetition and music provides a really fun way to repeat um, things, repeat words and phrases and new concepts. So I'd often introduce a nursery rhyme um, to teach a child how to engage and to imitate and take turns. Um, the way that music is set as well is there's often a high point in the song too, um, especially towards the end of a phrase. So leaving off that last word in a phrase after teaching a song um, will prompt the child to then um, step in and say the word as well. Um, just for example, like Old MacDonald had a farm. Once they know that song, going E-I-E-I and then waiting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you almost oh, aunt, that forward motion of the song, yes. you just have to just jump in, don't you? <laughs> yes, exactly. And the way that that um, phrase is musically, it's incomplete. Mm. And so wants to jump in. And we do this in general language. It's creating routines where we then insert an opportunity for the child to jump in. But music, the way that it's structured is like great because it has so many opportunities that we can um, give to the child in that way. Um, I've also used it, I can think of another example of, um, I think she was about three when I started working with her. She has um, Down syndrome and just severe difficulties across the board and she would come in and just really not seem to care that someone was in the room with her um, nothing really stimulated her like big lights or um, big movements you would she would just sit in the room and be happy to look at her hands mm -hmm. the whole session but as soon as I would start singing to her she was smiling engaging and she learnt um, her first sounds and words through music because she learned how to imitate um, gestures in the songs and then she learned how to complete phrases in songs and it just showed her that, oh, I can make sound and I can join in here and have a turn. So, yeah, it's it's super cool. Yeah, and the things that I'm picking up, obviously my early childhood background is is making little notes as you're talking, but you're not only supporting their communication, you're supporting their social well-being, their social structures, you know, what that give and the take of or the um, call and response or um, what's another way for using it, back and forth nature mm -hmm. of language. You know, somebody says something, pause, mm -hmm. then somebody, you know, answers back. Yeah. And then you're supporting them emotional well-being as well, that sense of, well, I actually am you know, connected. I, I am a, an important part of, you know, this network of people that I'm with. And it's it's just fascinating that you can do all that through music, mm. through something as simple as, as a nursery rhyme. How do you find, um, this is always an interesting question I get asked um, and some observations as well, when people feel like they can't sing, say for educators in a room that, oh, no, I'm not going to sing because I've got a terrible voice, which is so yeah. sad to hear, so sad. But how do you have any suggestions for parents out there or educators out there that really feel quite nervous about that, using hmm. their voice? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, just thinking about it from the child's perspective, they don't care what your voice sounds like, right? But when they see you singing with them, they see a parent or a carer who really wants to connect with them and they're creating an interact, they're initiating an interaction that they get to be a part of. So I think we sometimes we overthink it. We think overthink our skills and our level but that's not really the point um in the interaction I guess and so many of my colleagues um they wouldn't consider themselves singers even though I think they have amazing voices um but they use music with their clients and I can hear them through the walls and it's just so cool because nothing matters in that moment except that interaction that you're having with the child and what they're gaining from it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so important. So glad there's another person, another professional that says, you know, the kids don't care what you sound like because it is true. They're just yearning for that connection. They're yearning for a chance to um, have a bit of fun and get something. They're not thinking so much you know, critically reflecting on it for sure. They're just, you know, they're just in the moment and it's so important. How do you find um, your older, you know, upper primary, um, even early teenage, or did you say you work with early teenagers? Yeah, yeah, up to 18 years. 18 18 months to 18 years. Um, How do you find then, you know, kids, young children are notorious for just loving life and getting really excited and it's the magic. You know, there's a, there tends to be a little bit more of scepticism and, and things as they get older and, and early teens. How do you connect through music then? Yeah, um, I think I, I'd say I'm lucky because my even my older clients um, do enjoy music and fangirling over it with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even my like teenage boys, um, who are often known for just you know resisting therapy itself, um, I still do connect with them through music. So we're not doing nursery rhymes, but we're um, singing you know popular culture um, songs, yeah. and um, it, we may be going through the lyrics and talking about it in a more language perspective, like what's the metaphor in this? So there's more language in there. Sometimes I just use it as a like a break in yeah. between our activities as well and and we jam together on my um, keyboard. And, that, again, it just goes back to that connection. Yeah. Um, I do have an older girl who has difficulties with prosody. So that's like the musical aspect of speech yeah. um, because our speech is actually so musical. Isn't we it? have, yeah, like we change our pitch. Some words, are, um, or one, some syllables are louder, some are softer, longer, shorter. Everything is joined together and we pause at specific moments. But she has difficulties with um, most of these areas. And so we are using music um, to help her um, improve her prosody and it works out because she loves musical instruments she recently bought a piano and so we've been bonding over that but I was just showing her we were actually just looking at sheet music the other day and I was just showing her how um, music when we play it goes up and down and that's what we should do with our voice as well Um, and I've been trying to get her to sing with me um, so that we can just um, manipulate our voice a little bit more so then we can apply that to talking Mm. yeah 
yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and I always, um, when I think of prosody, I think of Pamela Allen books <laughs> and oh, you know, children's yes. books. Um, I think of the beautiful rhythm that she has in yes, in the way that she writes, and you know, I, I'm always encouraging parents and children to to engage in those kind of stories, as well as you know, stories that are wonderful imagination stories and things like that, but. Mm. Um, making sure that you're involving, uh, you're including, um, uh, you know, books that really have that element of the ups and downs in language and the rhythmic beats and um, even Harry McClary stories. I can't think oh, of the yes. Lindley Dodd, yeah, um, yes. or Julia Donaldson, you know, all of those mm. writers that, you know, you could, you could almost like, you know, I'm tapping my knees at the moment for, mm. <laughs> for those that are listening. Um, you could almost put a little rhythmic beat to the way yes. that the structure of each sentence. And it's really important. That's another really important way for, for young children to start developing their phonological awareness, isn't it? To, to really yes. listen to stories as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. I was about to say that just shows really beautifully the connection between music and literacy there, because that's books, but then within books, there are musical elements, there's the rhythm and then um, the different features of sounds mm. and uh, rhyme. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And how do you go then, um, I know you work in um, in your organisation with several other uh, speech therapists yeah. and have they all jumped on the board readily with music or are some of them a little bit, oh, I'm not sure what to do or yeah yes um they have <laughs> but I think with speech therapy it's quite um structured we run our sessions and we plan our sessions whereas music is very you know do what you feel and follow their lead and we do have an element of that um when we're working with the very little ones where we have to follow their lead so I guess that is the challenge there how to bring structure um, in using music um, in therapy, um, there is some. There are some resources that we've put together with how we can make structure in there. So how to create a routine out of a song, and it's something that you can measure. And because um, that's how that's how we work, just in the nature of our jobs. Um, but yeah, that is that is a challenge just to to bring that structure. What would you say? Well, I was, I was actually going to say, could you give us an example of how you might measure? Do you mean when you say that, are you talking about how you can measure the success of using that music as in yeah, yeah. how do you see that progress? Yeah, exactly. So when I was talking about routines just then, um, say we have a nursery rhyme. So you would have step-by-step step of how you would introduce this song. So um, you would start the song in a certain way each time. Yep. So that's routine and predictability for the child. And then you would have the same actions that you do over and over again. As the child learns the song, then you um, you then create an opportunity for them to input. They yep. might say a word, they might do a gesture, and then we have to plan how we're going to cue the child to jump in as well, just in case they don't do anything. Yeah. And then yeah. how do we conclude the song? So that's one way of bringing in structure because yeah. I think sometimes, and I guess this is with parents and educators in general, it just feels like, oh, I'm just singing and I don't know what I'm, what my actual goal is and what am I trying to achieve here? 
So I think that's the challenge. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just thinking about how do you measure that um, that success or that the, the learning objective has been achieved, you know, if you're going to be really yes. specific. And I guess it would be then that that child can recall the whole nursery rhyme by themselves without the prompting. Does that? Or, yeah, or the child requested for more of the song yeah. or the child um, completed a phrase in the song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that would follow on then that the next song you might introduce if, you, if you're if you going on with the, your therapy sessions, maybe they get that the next learning just that little bit quicker each time and yeah. that's what you would hope. So to the point where then, you know, say if they were a school child, school-aged child, you would hope to see some improvements in their home, you know, their reading skills or jumping mm-hmm. up level, you know, in um, in their reading levels, whatever uh, whatever you're using as your reading levels um, and confidence, you would make yeah, sure that you yeah. bring in that element of confidence, you know, are they a little bit more, you know, that looking forward to going to school or reading a yeah. book, requesting a book, like all those little things mm. do show that it's it's working. Yeah, that's a really good point because often we're measuring, you know, the accuracy of a word or how many times I did this, but there's so many other things going on, like they're smiling more or they're um, like looking at you with anticipation. Mm. There's so many other things going on that are also improving. That's not just like a a skill maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've been doing a lot of little, um, as I said, research into um readings in the neuromusic and another beautiful thing about music it's not only supporting literacy it's not only supporting social or feelings of emotional connection and well-being there's you know it's supporting numeracy skills it's supporting an idea of social cohesion um all all of these knock-on effects because of that wonderful um wonderful power of music to connect all the areas of the brain it's not just it doesn't just stimulate the motor you know the motor area and and so we dance it's stimulating a whole lot of other little networks and important things so that you get that whole brain and whole body response yes yeah it's really it's really quite fascinating isn't it definitely yeah it's like all-encompassing yeah yeah do you find when you did your speech therapy training, was there much to do with music in the actual initial sort of pre-service training? Is that uh, In the course, no. But um, when I was on one of my placements, we actually had music therapists come and provide a little in-service to the speech pathologist there. And I was like, mind blown. Mm. And I was like, of course, this makes sense. Mm. Um, so as soon as I started working, I knew that I wanted to include it in my sessions. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's really not um not really explicitly taught but we can see um so many benefits of it yeah definitely yeah and that's another interesting um it's another interesting angle to look at um so many um would you say allied health professionals Mm. anybody that's working with children especially, but also Mm. adults as well. You know, music can be this little additional or augmentation 
not an add-on as such, but it can it can really, I really believe it has the power to support many different industries because it is that language, it that universal language and it connects people. And not that everybody has to love a particular type of music. You know, some people I know they're actually like, well, I don't even really listen to the radio. Now I find that a foreign concept, of course, but <laughs> but you know, there are people out there that think that that, you know, don't really tap into any kind of music. And I sometimes wonder if that's, you know, an unfortunate side effect of the sort of old dinosaur way of thinking that, you know, a musician or a, a musical person is is someone that knows how to sing in tune or can play a really play an instrument really well. But if you think about the roots of music, it, you know, that's our first language, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah it really that's true. Like we are using it without even realizing, even if you don't listen to the radio, but even as you're speaking and as you're reading, because mm -hmm. our our language, our English language is musical. Mm -hmm. um, I know there are tonal languages out there, which has an extra layer. Um, so uh, Vietnamese, for example, um, has, uh, I hope I don't mess this up. <laughs> this is just from my memory, but <laughs> there's this word um, ma so if you say it in different tones it actually means six different things yes so yeah so it's about the rise and fall of um, the vowel sound in there so ma versus ma is two different words right whereas we um, in English if I was to say like bottle versus bottle um mm. My rise in pitch there is more, that second one was a question yes. versus me just saying it. So we are using aspects of music all the time. Um, and it's, I think people think that music is, you know, get out a guitar and you're singing or something. But it's, um, as you're saying, it's just so intrinsic to us and who we are and we we do use it always. Yeah. That's fascinating. I do remember um one of the students I was working with, um, her mum is from Thailand and she was teaching me um, teaching me some words and she actually mentioned something like what you just said. So I don't know if Thai itself is a tonal language. I think so, yeah. yeah but she was saying that if you say it like this, it means this, but then if yeah. you say the same word and, it means, and I can't remember what it was now, sorry, mm -hmm. Ava, um, I'll ask you again next week. Um but yeah, she was, she was, I don't know, I just thought that was fascinating because yes, in the English language, a change in intonation just really means whether it's a question or not. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But there or are like showing confusion. Yes. Showing emotion. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm just thinking about all the different <laughs> ways of saying one word. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's really exactly. fascinating. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's great that, you, you know, I guess a lot of people, a lot of parents now, I'm, I'm just, you know, putting it out there. I guess there's a lot of um, worry and angst when people, when parents come to you with a child, with their child, their gorgeous little poppet that, you know, is having trouble communicating and to give them something really simple like a nursery rhyme and show them that that can bring not just language out but communication and connection, that must feel really amazing. For sure, yeah. 
It's very, very cool because sometimes we we just try to jump to teaching a word or teaching a concept, um, but then creating that connection is missed and a child isn't going to want to learn from us if they're not connected first. So it bridges that gap and it creates like something really, really fun um, as a way to learn learn things, yeah. Do you know much now? I I know a bit about it, but um, for our listeners out there, do you call it parentees? It used to be called yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you talk a little bit about parentees. Yeah, definitely. So we do encourage it um, for our parents. So parentees is kind of that sing-songy way of speaking. Um, You probably do it without realising when you're talking to a child. You are stretching out your vowel sounds and you go up and down with your voice a little bit more. And it's, yeah, kind of like you're singing. And um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was looking at some research, um, I think there was a study in 2010 that showed that newborn babies, um, they have in their brain, this um, they had activation, overlapping activation in their brain to instrumental music um, in the same way that they did to parentees, um, which is so fascinating and, again, goes back to how music is so intrinsic for us. Um, So, yeah, um, children respond so well when they are listening to you singing like that in not really singing but in that sing-songy voice um saying anything because it draws their attention to what you're saying um and it highlights certain parts of your sentence um puts emphasis in the right places and yeah we do it um when we are teaching new words so especially for those little ones um teaching new phrases and yeah, it's really, really helpful. How do you support the parents who really don't? Because, you know, I know for a lot of us, it is, mm-hmm. um, it, it just comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been around parents who really find it really difficult to do that, even with their own children. How can we support people that, you know, those type of people who find it a little bit challenging? Yeah. That's true. I guess it would come with practice. Mm-hmm. It would probably it would feel unnatural if that's not you. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that you can practice and anyone can do it. It's not yeah. it's not like a skill that you yeah. have to learn. Do you find that yeah. those kind of parents or people it's kind of go, well, why why am I doing this? Like why yeah. but I suppose yeah. if parents are coming in then they they're gonna mm-hmm. want to do anything for their kids, aren't they? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then they can see see the impact and yeah they they end up doing it yeah perhaps my question was more around um in a context of an educational setting when you've got Um, you know people who are a little bit more um conscious of the sound of their voice or using it in a different way or mm -hmm. yeah I mean you can always you can always give a little bit of research to support the cause and yes definitely but I mean it comes back to the way when you sing an instruction rather than say the instruction it'll just engage the children I always use come on put your shoes on hurry up and put your shoes on please but Mm. if you go put your shoes on it's time you know they'll be yes or a pack away song yeah those always work really well yeah (laughs) they do don't they and yeah that's a good point Oh, sorry. I was going to say it's a good point. Like for um, educators or going back to your question, people who are worried, um, learning how to do it in a specific 
uh, context first so it doesn't have to be your turn into your everyday talking um, with the child but then if you do it in the context of packing away or in the context of washing your hands or just little phrases that you learn um, that would be helpful. Yeah, and that's um, that was actually a focus of a recent workshop that I ran on ran online. I'll be doing it again soon, actually, um, about habit stacking onto your normal yes. routines so that it doesn't feel really overwhelming for those who are not naturally interested in it, but just finding ways to make those or to support those transition times that can really be very messy and all unorganized, a bit chaotic sometimes for both the educator and the child. Even at home, you know, when I when we try to rush out, rush the kids out the door for school, come on, hurry up, hurry up. And I catch myself and then I start to sing the instructions and everybody's mm-hmm. relaxed and then we get into the car and we keep singing or, you know, chanting or whatever. So there's tiny little things that you can just just habit stack onto what you do to take out the overwhelming and to, yeah, to, to weave it in through your day. And then it becomes a sort of more of a natural part of your routine rather than an added extra thing that you have to think about, you know? For sure. I think that's really helpful. Mm. Yeah. It's not a whole new thing. It's something you're already doing and you're just adding a step. Yeah. Yeah. I like how. Okay. I was going to say, I like how you use the word relaxed mm-hmm. um, as soon as you start singing because that's definitely something that I find as well. And there's probably so much research about music and just emotional regulation as yeah. well. What, what, what was your experience on that? Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of, um, uh, coming back to what you were saying earlier, children aren't got, or anyone, but especially children, they're not going to want to take on the new information and, you know, learn new things if they're not feeling safe and relaxed. So music, you know, you can choose your music wisely if you want to create an environment where you want to um, have more of a calm space or a, a gentle sort of exploration of play areas. You know, you can choose something Um, There's a lot of talk about 60 beats per minute music, you know, things that don't have too much variation in in pitch or tempo, you know, they're they're relatively regular to mimic the heartbeat. Um, So one of the most beautiful pieces of music that I always play as soon as I walk into anywhere where I'm doing a music workshop, sorry, a music and movement program, I will have on my speaker playing Gymnopody by Sati, you know. It's very slow, it's gentle, it's repetitive. And I can go into the loudest noises room, whether it's babies crying or children being really excited about play, and they'll slowly start to tune into what I'm playing and the room will quieten and it's amazing. It's the most beautiful effect. Or if I don't have that on my speaker, I will just go in there and I'll just gently pluck on the strings of the ukulele and instantly the heads are turning around and they're like, wow, what is this? And sometimes they'll rush up. Sometimes they'll creep up. You know, it's it's interesting to see all different types of learners come up. You can see the ones that like to sit back and watch. You can see the ones that really want to get in there and feel it and pluck the strings or, you know, explore it. But whatever happens, it's always an attention grabber. So we can use music in so many ways, whether it's to calm and regulate, whether it's to, um, you know, if you've got, I'm thinking a classroom of 
sort of early primary students and they're a bit ratty and they're a bit tired but you need them to be on the ball learning we'll put a music and movement something that they can dance to get their bodies moving get their brains and their endorphins ready to learn and then present your whatever it is that you want that um want that group of children to learn so you can use it to elevate mood you can use it to bring down mood you can use it to um inspire you know a, a beautiful big ode to joy or something that's really like amazing inspiring yeah. <laughs> yeah so if you if you're aware of the effect on mood and that mm. you can use and choose your music then yeah you can manipulate in a good way I'm not talking about being manipulative mm. I'm saying you know you can use that awareness for the for the good of whatever mood you kind of w- want to create yeah that's really cool. Would you say that's kind of universal, the mood um, that music creates? There are certain songs that calm, certain songs that elevate always. There's not uh, much personality variation there in how we would respond to music. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my personal experience, I would say across the board, there's similar mm-hmm. reactions to most of what I've just said. But I know in terms of the research, there's a lot of research on how um music that music um how it can elevate our mood or how it can um you know mirror what we're feeling and allow the emotion to 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 go through so for example if you're feeling quite sad or a depressive kind of mood listening to that kind of music can for a short amount of time can help you process all of those emotions in a healthier way there is, I can't think of the studies at the moment off my head, but I know that there's a certain duration that we want to, sort of a threshold that we don't want to go too much over to then perpetuate a feelings of sadness and and sort of heaviness. But there's a point that you can, uh, that researchers have found that it can, you know, unite people, you know, thinking about your, your footy songs. I just think of footy straight away and you've got your team, <laughs> your team song. It can, yeah. it can unite you and, and get you really powerfully wound up the game and woohoo, let's go, yeah. um, you know, so whatever it is. So there's definitely a lot of research into that um, mm. with findings fairly, you know, fairly across the board. Yeah. Which is That's fascinating. Really cool. yeah, yeah, so so many things to, you know, once you look at one bit of research, then you tend to go into a bit of a rabbit hole going, oh, but what yes. about this and what about that? So, yes. yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a field of study that is growing and growing at an exponential rate and and so many, again, so many benefits are being found, potential, you know, early intervention, not just in a musical therapy kind of sense, but, you mm-hmm. know, that simple idea of beat keeping, you know, supporting yes three and four-year-olds to to keep the beat in time because if they can't do that, they're, they're probably going to have trouble reading later yeah. on. So, yeah, it's it's, it's quite a fascinating, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool how it's all connected yeah. and it can help in so many areas. It really is. Yeah. Oh, Sal, you've got some really, really lucky clients, so, you know, really wonderful um, families out there that, that must be so grateful and so appreciative of not just the work that you're doing, but, you know, your colleagues are doing to bring, you know, to, to make the most out of your speech therapy, you know. Yeah. And it's, 
the wonderful bit of music as well. Yes, it's awesome. It's such a joy, honestly. It's very fun. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today, Sal. It's been a really um, a lovely way to validate the magic and the power of music and connection. And, you know, there's been some great little tips for our listeners out there, whether you're a parent or an educator working with young, young children or a speech therapist yourself. So I'm really grateful to have spent this time with you. Thanks so much for having me. It was so, so great to talk and to share our experiences. Yeah, it is, isn't it, to bounce ideas off as well. Yes. Beautiful. Well, we'll leave it there for today. So you have a wonderful time um, with your clients and um, we will chat again soon. That's great. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This episode was brought to you by my signature course, Music and Mindset, the most comprehensive online course for early childhood educators and carers. You can check it out at moversandshakersmusic.com.au. Remember the double O in movers, along with lots of other free resources to inspire you and boost your confidence and skills. If you love this episode, please spread the joy. Share it with a friend, tag me on social media at Movers and Shakers Music and remember to download it and give it a rating because that really helps us to continue creating content that's relevant and useful for you and for many others. I'm Christy Russell and I'm here to help you understand why music and mindset matters. See you again soon.